Support is provided in part by Conway Shield. Those who answer the call and risk it all for the safety and well-being of others deserve someone willing to give their all in return. Conway Shield is built on the shoulders of three service legacies. Customizing the nation's very best firefighting shields has expanded to providing the most effective technology, tools, and training for today's fire and law leaders. Learn more at ConwayShield.com. Hello and welcome to our annual Year in Review episode on the Leadership Under Fire, Humanizing the Narrative podcast. I'm your host, Patty Murphy. In this episode, I'm joined by LUF founder Jason Bresler and LUF's senior man and human performance advisor, Jim McNamara. In this conversation, we reflect on the range, depth, and reach of Leadership Under Fire's team efforts in 2023. As has been the trend in recent years, technological and societal changes have deeply impacted all of us individually and collectively. To that end, the LUF team has reaffirmed its commitment to humanize performance and leadership in today's fire service and other high-risk, lethal environments to gain and maintain a competitive edge while maintaining the moral imperative of leadership. Through programs, research, and publications, the team is committed to developing mission-oriented leaders who make human performance a priority. Gentlemen, welcome to our 2023 Year in Review episode. I'm so glad we get to do this in person this year. Me too. Yeah, very good, Patty. So in 2023, the Leadership Under Fire team proudly continued to deliver a considerable number of programs and seminars while also undertaking several new initiatives. Throughout the year, the LUF team enjoyed the opportunity to deliver human performance programs to diverse, high-risk, ultra-competitive teams and organizations across the country. Jason, do you want to share some of those highlights? Sure. Probably best place to start in terms of the programs that we delivered in 2023 would be Cherry Hill, New Jersey. They had formally launched or started their, their human performance optimization program as, as a fire department in 2022. We had done two week long immersive iterations, one in early 2022, one later in 2022. And then as a, as a team, as a, as a cadre, we returned for the third and final installation or iteration in early 2023. And uh, really, really cool to see the progress that they've, that they've made, given that they're a, a smaller department 200 personnel, they were able to have every member go through the, the week-long immersive courses, and which I think in some ways was was advantageous for them. Perhaps their best asset is that they have a number of, of human performance leaders, or leaders rather, you know, fire service leaders that are particularly passionate and, and even, you know, fervent about optimizing human performance ultimately tactical and operational performance, you know, performance in a tactical and operational context. So uh, really cool to, to continue to, to partner with them, collaborate with them. We're kind of moved now from the instructional educational phase more into the collaborative phase. I think that was a huge, huge win for our, for our team in, in 2023 programmatically. We had the opportunity to travel to Fairfax, Virginia, you know, rather large, very squared away, progressive uh, department launched 
you know, the, the first iteration there of a, of a week-long course in, in hopes that they'll continue to build off of, of that. You know, programmatically, I'd say those were probably two of our bigger events or contributions in 2023, as well as just, uh, the, you know, the continued de- development and progress with the FDNY's Mental Performance Initiative. We just gathered recently upstate retreat-like setting in uh, in Westchester in the fall, which is you know pretty time of the year up there. That was actually MPI 13. Mm. That's the 13th course that we've run. And you know there were two individuals in particular that are now deputy chiefs. They had gone through one of the early iterations, whether it be MPI one or two, mm. as I think, believe one was a captain, one was like a newly promoted battalion chief. So these, both these gentlemen have been promoted on two separate occasions now, you know, and continue to advance in terms of leadership responsibility. And, uh, you know, pr- it's pretty cool to kind of get a sense of how, how far we've come from from their perspective, mm-hmm. right? Having gone through one, the, the course in the early years and have seen it kind of grow in, I guess, depth, um, scope, and reach so you know i would i would put that up there too like that was a that was a significant i think 12 and the, the fact that we were able to run 12 and 13 in 2023 and go away again during um covid we were kind of limited in, in terms of travel but that was that was pretty significant i would piggyback on that uh there have been a number of folks who were in attendance for the first class and have come back in recent iterations and are just simply shocked at the progression that has occurred I don't think Patty has yet to have the opportunity to do that, but um, yet. Yeah. yet is the operative word. I know you're very busy, but it really is extraordinary from the first class when we really didn't know much of anything, and now to um, to be able to convey a depth of information from many different perspectives, the growth on people like Jimmy Lopez just defies description. Um, I think Tommy Daly from Rescue 2 said it best, you know, we're the first course we needed uh, Ivy League academics to teach us, and now we use our own guys and gals. And I think that's a a tremendous testament to all those who've been involved in this, the incredible amount of work to get to that point. And to realize that, and we're going to talk about this in a little while as well, there is a farm team of young men and women just ready to pop up. So to see this and to have redundancy in the system, uh, to partner with folks like Dr. Morgan, we'll talk a little bit about more of him, uh, couldn't be more proud of this endeavor. If I could move and talk briefly about Cherry Hill and and Fairfax, I would start first with Cherry Hill. To me, they're an extraordinary organization because they're taking – some of the academic stuff that we're now learning and making it actionable and doing so in a rapid fashion. That is incredible. And I said this before, and I'll just continue to pound it, the benefits of being smaller. You know, you know everybody in that department. You know what they can do. You know you, know, you, you, know you can trust them. Leadership that just allows people like Zach and Tim to just get after it. Uh, what they're doing with training, what they're doing with day-to-day operations. It's an extraordinary model. And I, I, you know, I say it again, again, the smaller departments are going to, to set the pace as we move forward. Because larger departments just, 
They're just too big. They can't react rapidly like these small departments. And to talk about Fairfax, they had already established themselves as a very forward-looking organization. But again, to see you know these guys and gals, one, I mean, they have three strength and conditioning coaches on the payroll and a dietitian available to them. We were starting classes at 8 o'clock. They were in the building knocking out a high-intensity workout at 06. I mean, that's, that is phenomenal. And, um, you know, even for folks like us, we need to realize that there are people out there who are rapidly changing and realizing that there are gaps and they're filling them. And these two places, tremendous, man. My, hat, my hat's off to them. Excellent. Very exciting looking back on some of our legacy programs. I want to turn now to this year. The LUF team launched a new course offering uniquely built around the perspectives of emerging leaders with five to 10 years of job time from several different departments. I discussed the leadership development course for and by emerging leaders with LUF human performance analyst and course director Jacob Dutton in one of our October episodes. We talked about the genesis and objectives of the course prior to its delivery. I'll start with Jim. How did it go? Beyond anyone's wildest expectations. First off, uh, props to Jake Dutton for realizing that this gap existed and then working to fill it. Uh, you know, I'm someone who, you know, especially since that September morning, has witnessed all of these young men and women you know, coming into the job um, rising up the ranks, uh, making significant contributions. You know, where are all these people that say these young guys and gals aren't worth it? Come sit and watch these. So I had three, um, I had three of my young ones, if you will, my young bucks. Uh, Charles Loudenschlager from 58, who is becoming a rock solid leader to the point where he's now training the young ones underneath him. And doing so in a manner, you know, reflective of the things that that we've all learned uh, through MPI, you know, about skill transfer, about you know, training in dimensions, and to see someone at that age and that time on the job, you know, step up like this, and then to see him get up and give a Zoom class, you know, it's it's absolutely extraordinary. He's never done this before. I mean, he's a terrific musician, you know, but boom, here we go. Tom Miller, I mean, there's nothing really I can say about Tom. He's, a, he's our resident um, astrophysicist from Columbia. Single, the single most insane thing I've ever heard in the New York City Fire Department. Uh, I would consider one of mine also Joanne Mariano. She's a firefighter in, in 136, a real good company in Queens. But she's part of our research arm, if you will. And... She's was so fired up after being part of this that she's gone back and she's going to grab a master's. What she's going to do in the next 10, 15, 20 years, I mean, I can't even comprehend what she's going to do. Um, and you see her, you know, when we're doing something, especially with Dr. Morgan, like, I'm always, make sure you come with me, watch and listen to what he's saying because you're going to do that in the future. So, um, Jimmy, can you offer a little context for those that haven't listened to the episode uh, about the course origins? Sure. I think articulate some of the objectives from, from your perspective as a senior guy. Sure. Um, Jake Dutton had realized this gap, but we've never given young ones the chance to grow like this. Historically, 
you wait your first five, ten years, you, you peek your head up, and then, you know, maybe you know, after ten years, people start to realize who you are and, and they give you a chance to do something. The young ones that, that we get on the job now are, are extraordinary. The talents that they have, the, the academic accomplishments, the ones who've just taken themselves and improved themselves to a point, it's a testament you know, to their professionalism. Um, and historically, we would have never given a firefighter a chance to do something like this. The first time I got the chance to do any kind of professional development was when Jason arrived and I was 52 years of age. They're in their 20s and 30s, and they're not only gaining exposure to the classes for development and understanding how to, to, to go about being better. Now they're in the next phase, which is actively conveying that. So if you can start at that age, I can't imagine where they will end up. And, and hopefully this will propel you know, departments to realize that they have talent in this realm these five to 10 to 15 year guys and gals, you need to tap into that. They're yeah. the f and historically, we talked about this previously, but historically in the fire service, inclusive of the FDNY, but largely across the country, the first time you get formal leadership development, training or, or education, or training and education is when you get promoted. Or, you know, many departments, when you, when you go to special operations, you, you get more technical advanced training. But if you, uh, you know, if you're like Jimmy, you aren't formally promoted, doesn't mean you don't inherit greater responsibility over the course of your career, right? We've talked about this. Like he's had 50 plus guys and gals that have come to 50 and 20, just the truck since, since you know, he got there in the 90s. Arguably, he had a significant impact on, on all of them or an impact on, on some level. And, uh, you know, historically, the, the thinking, the wisdom has been, well, We'll wait until you get promoted. Well, what if you don't get promoted? What if you wait until you have 18 years to get promoted? What if you have to wait 12 years? Why, why wait? Why, why not develop leaders right out of the gate? And, you know, many of our, some of our progress, uh, excuse me, processes in terms of leadership development are borrowed from the military. But one of the things uniquely different in the military is it's a move up or move out organization. Meaning if you're not getting promoted, you're only allowed so, many, so much time in each rank. What's uniquely different about the fire service is it's it's highly likely or likely that at some point you're actually going to be developing your future boss. So it becomes even more important that we develop leaders in, in a more proactive fashion. And one of the trends that we have observed across the country as it relates to, to training and opportunities, you know, in, particularly at like trades shows and such is that the the system largely rewards those who have a considerable amount of time. And there's certainly value in, in having folks that have several decades of service like like Jim, for instance. The problem with that model is that many of the folks that are that are probably most influential across the country, you know, on a circuit per se, man, many of them are retired. Mm -hmm. Just think about the changes that we've just observed and experienced firsthand since we launched this podcast five years ago. Think about how much has changed from civil unrest to the pandemic, to lithium ion, right? To unmanned aerial surveillance platforms and, and drones. 
to global conflict. Like, just think about how much of society, technology, how much change is impacting. And if someone like the late Captain, Captain John Vigiano or somebody like Tom Richardson, who spent s- several decades going to fires on a very you know regular basis, they're always going to add value mm-hmm. to, to training and professional development. They're, they're probably not the norm, right? Those are two ex- extraordinary outliers. You know, you can make the argument some of the folks that are kind of continuing to shape and influence their trajectory of the American Fire Service, they're arguably re- removed. And they have many blind spots that they're probably not even a- aware of, right? And I, and I think our thinking was that we, we need to um, be more proactive in developing leaders earlier rather than later. And what a great opportunity for young emerging leaders to hear from their own peers, right? Their own cohorts, right? One of the um, rules around the, the emerging leaders development course is that you couldn't have I think, less than five, but you can have more than more than ten. Like we wanted the curriculum to be limited to folks, the contributors who weren't weren't yet in, institutionalized, and it's been really cool to 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 watch. And teaching is not easy. Speaking is not easy. Speaking to your peers is is challenging. And then you throw in the the variable that is teaching, you know, or, or communicating via via Zoom virtually, mm-hmm. is is not for the faint of heart either. And it's been really really um, rewarding to watch, and also really informative. And you know, it's encouraging. It's you walk away from these presentations like optimistic about the. The future, because these these guys and gals are as right, right, Jim. They're as, they're as good as any group. Extraordinary, yeah. extraordinary. So well rounded, and also another important reason to have this. They see the world differently. They they see the world differently, even from how I see it, how you see it. Nobody's opinion or vantage point is worth more than another. But I need to know what their world is like because it's so different from mine. Sure. And, uh, yeah, many of those organizations too. They they constitute a majority of the operating force. It's numerically, <laughs> it's just it's just how it uh, how it is. But tonight is the I think seventh and final group meeting, and I it's uh, it features Tom. And I think the the theme of the evening is like four ideas that will change the future of the fire service. Like I have no idea what it's go- what it's going to be, but I I know it's going to be provocative. <laughs> And uh, it's going to require some intellectual r- rigor to probably comprehend what, what it is he's, he's sharing. But it's 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 really uh, really exciting. And to see guys from you, you also then you really Jake Jake communicated this to me the other day. You really see the impact of the, the LUF team over the course of s- several years, like in terms of like the mindset, the, the philosophy, the regard for for higher learning, particularly like self-learning. But, you know, you get, you get guys, contributors from Milwaukee, Cherry Hill, Camden, the FDMY. It's a pretty diverse group. It's been awesome. Certainly one of the bigger, I, I think one of the bigger wins for the team mm-hmm. in 2023. This is just the first iteration, so I'm really excited to build on it. Amen. Amen. In, uh, in the coming, in the year ahead. Absolutely. Anything else to add, Jim? No, I think we nailed that one. I can't wait for 
I'll have to watch Tom on uh, the repeat because uh, tonight is the office's party for us. But uh, And again, I work with him, so I listen to all of his ideas, and you cannot possibly believe the things that he's thinking about. I mean, he's he's playing chess, and I'm not even playing checkers. It's, it's no other way to describe it. Um, but by the same token, right? So Tom's had an, a unique life, but how about Gabe and Jemmy's guys from Camden? Mm. I mean, they grew up with nothing. Yeah. And the, here they are, like, developing the way that they present. Are we kidding? Now, having Dr. and Jemmy in the house certainly helps, right? But But look at how far they have come and think about how far they will go. Right, when they eventually move to leadership positions, you talk about thinking differently. I wish I could do another 30 to watch it. It's all very inspiring and exciting. I want to turn now to an in-person event that we hosted for the first time in a couple of years this spring. We, in April, hosted nearly 100 leaders from across the country in Annapolis, Maryland, for a day of thought-provoking presentations and conversations aimed at advancing the performance of mission-oriented units and teams in highly competitive and lethal environments. The summit featured John Rabin, Liam Flaherty, Ty Daniels, and Jim Russell. So what were your thoughts and takeaways from the summit? Jason, you want to start? Actually, I think it'd probably be appropriate for you to start given that you were uh, you were the chief host and this was the first right this is the first in-person summit that we had held I think the last one was the spring of 19 mm -hmm. in Annapolis pre-covid so what what were your uh, what were your thoughts to springboard off of the last conversation inspiring when you see so many people from different walks of life come together especially when they're like-minded and have a, a shared goal or mission it's just refreshing and I'm not surprised by the conversations that took place there. I was just motivated by what people shared because it's all very, to your point earlier, in terms of progressing, not just the fire service, but anybody who came from other walks of life. I know Stacey Schilling was there. Sure. I've had her on the podcast before. It's just very inspiring to be in a room with people like that, of that caliber. Yeah, I think the key word in your reflection is actually the word shared, what, mm -hmm. what people shared. And one of the things that I, I think that we've been able to do as a team and collectively, and it wasn't even necessarily by design, but we've been able to give people like a constructive and a meaningful framework to make sense of wins, losses, traumatic experiences, you name it, in a way that's still largely kind of consistent with the with cultural norms. But when I think about, you know, folks like Captain Flaherty mm -hmm. or John Raven's <laughs> conversation was without question the highlight of the, the, the day. And I, I don't think anyone really anticipated that that would be the, the case. But the extent to which these individuals, these gentlemen were candid mm -hmm. and authentic, you can even use the word vul vulnerable, you know, I mean, you have somebody like Ty who's humanizing the experience, what it is to be deployed on a, on a nuclear submarine for an extended period of time, with zero daylight, right? Or, um, you know, Captain Flaherty, obviously, incredible career for him to reflect on 
some of the um, significant events or, or operations. Jim to continue to keep us grounded and focused. And then John to kind of unpack what it is to lead like at the highest levels in an environment that is like overwhelmingly political you know, while, while uh, having a responsibility to kind of maintain a, a, a missioned, focused capability set and, and navigate the tumultuous political winds. You know, pretty cool then, what is it, probably only a few weeks later, uh, there was a series of serious storms and floods that impacted like the Northeastern United States and New England. And then Liam was up there operating and Jake Dutton was up there operating and John Rabin paid like an executive visit. <laughs> Senator Sanders paid like an executive visit. And it was pretty cool to see like, I think the value proposition or one of the things that makes, continues to make this team unique is that overwhelming number of our contributors are, are actively leading and, and mm-hmm. serving in really, really meaningful billets, right? Across the country. Like they're going to flyers and emergencies on a regular basis or they're, you know, they're, had it. They're coaching on an act on an active basis. Like this, at the end of the day, this is like a almost like a side hustle of sorts, like inde- endeavor. But everyone, I think, everyone on the team, or an overwhelming number number, you know, contributors, members of the team, have a tremendous amount of skin in the game. Mm-hmm. You know, and those that have retired, the reason they retired is because the organization said, "You're fortunately you're too old. You can't serve anymore." Or they would still be serving. Like Jim Rustel, Jim Rustel would still be. Oh. would still be serving at yes. the Chicago Police oh, Department yes. or the Marine oh, Corps yes. allowed him. But, um, yeah, the Annapolis, you know, log- logistically, those events are a lot of, they're a lot of work. But then you get there in an hour in, you're looking around the room and just the energy and the enthusiasm mm-hmm. and the quiet professionalism and the extent to which people are, like, authentic and real. And there's, like, you know, like, I was... It was it was worth it. Like you walk away reinvigorated. What, what, do you, what do you think, Jimmy? Sure. Sometimes in our profession, especially the fire service, we're all, almost anchored into our own lane. We never step out of that lane and ask, "How are people in other high risk professions operating?" And it's refreshing to hear from other perspectives. We're not the only people with a stressful profession. That was an incredible panel. Again, you know, Captain Flaherty. You know, what he has been through in his career. You know, he played 500 plus funerals and he was the lead face in front of all of them. You, know, you talk about resilience and the man is still firing. You know, when the question was asked earlier, you know, who, who wants to go to a fire? His hand was the first one up. You know, um, terrific. To hear Ty from his perspectives and Jim Roussel, I had the chance. Patty did most of them and a credit to you for. That's a tough detail, you know, to do all the, but <laughs> credit to you. I had, I had the, again, privilege to speak with Jim. And when you, when you speak with Jim Roussel, you're just spellbound because there are no notes. This is coming right from the head. He has spent, God only knows, the time thinking about the developing his thoughts and conveying them to a group. Some of the group uh, traveled incredible distances. The Louisville guys Drove eight hours each way to be there. Guys flying from California for a, a one-day summit. Yeah, 
And I would add a few other things. That Annapolis is a great place. You know, it really is. So I've, I've been there a couple times. And I'm going to mention that for this time we went, we came down early and we had the absolute privilege to have lunch um, with a couple of mids. Do I have this right? Mids? Mm-hmm. Um, who were the sons and daughters of Chicago and New York City firemen. Now, I remember the first time going there, Jason was teaching a class and I tagged along. And I just I was in the back of the class shaking my head and say, how could you be 18, 19 years old and you've decided to commit yourself to this? And it reinforced it again, you know. Um, there are plenty of young men and women who've committed their lives to something so much bigger and so much greater. To sit there and to listen to them speak, I mean, it is a reflection of America's best and uh, it was just awesome. And we saw the, the lineup for lunch. I don't know what you call that procession, but and that was extraordinary. Um, but the only thing I haven't seen, which I, next time we're going to have to do, is the officers club. I'd like to, the old man might want to have one. But that was great. And then afterwards, like the, the city is so alive afterwards. You know, and, uh, everybody enjoyed themselves afterwards. It's one thing to do good work. It's another thing like to continue that by building, you know, relationships and discussing what went down. It was just a great, great weekend. I wish we could do it. You know, I wish we could do it more often, but it is a logistical headache. But I thought it was a great event. Yeah. It was great. It was great to, to be back in person together for a summit. Agreed. I want to turn now to another topic. The LUF team published a paper on NIOSH line of duty death reports in 2022, but after some thought decided to have a public conversation in the spring about the research and findings. We discussed that on a podcast episode. Where do things currently stand? So we devoted a considerable amount of time to analyzing published documented and published NIOSH line of duty death reports in the summer of 2022. And it was in response to an inquiry uh, from the federal government for, for feedback. Spent a you know, considerable amount of time combing through these reports. Simultaneously, we were, we were lending influence to kind of like the investigative methodology being used for two, two different line of duty death re- reports. Uh, one in an urban setting, one in, a, in an urban career department, one in a rural combination department. And, uh, you know, aim to succinctly publish our, our findings and, and some recommendations. Unfortunately, perhaps not surprisingly, but unfortunately, we never received a response to our, to our response. Mm-hmm. Formally or officially. But that's okay. And, and I, I should mention, when we talk about NIOSH line of duty death reports, to be fair, talking more broadly about line of duty death reports in, in the American Fire Service. Because commonly what will happen is a department, if it's large enough, will publish its own, conduct its own investigation, publish its own, its own report. Or in other parts of the country, Maryland, for instance, the Baltimore Metropolitan, Baltimore, Washington metropolitan area, they'll form a committee with members from different departments and they'll, they'll conduct investigation and publish their findings. So we're talking about our findings. It was a little bit more broad than just just NIOSH in terms of trends and trends and patterns. But we've just continued to, you know, you know, there hasn't been the formal conversation that I think we had hoped there would be. But that's okay. There's been a 
it's been a catalyst for many, many conversations rather than just maybe one central conversation. And, and that's okay. This year, you know, a number of line of duty deaths across the country. There's a couple that hit pretty, pretty close to home this year and impacted members of our, our, of our team or the departments that members of our team serve. And I, I think it's fair to say the work that we're doing collectively is con- continuing to shape and kind of influence the thinking and the processes that are applied to make sense of these complex and dynamic and ultimately tragic events. So, uh, you know, we, we, I think we've made some, some good progress. I think we have a, a, a long way to go, but I think it's, it's important. You know, I come back to this all the time. Those reports, they're, they're practically a, a religious artifact. And, and I mean that with full sincerity. Like they, there's no greater mechanism for learning in the American Fire Service and policy than line of duty death reports. I don't necessarily think that should be the case, but that's a separate conversation. But but they are, and I think that um, you know we're applying some 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 critical thinking to this exercise, while also recognizing that that these reports memorialize the sacrifice of like just extraordinary people, you know, ordinary people rather who who gave their lives doing extraordinary extraordinary things. So kind of more to, more to follow on on that, but um, we're having an impact. Uh, in a really meaningful, really meaningful way. And there's been one or two line of duty death reports that have come out, that came out in 2023, where I think you're starting to see some of that, some of that impact. And just even something as basic as the questions that people are asking on the back end of one of these events, inclusive of the fires that arguably end without somebody being seriously injured or killed. I I think we're having a really favorable impact equipping people to be asking the right types of questions as it relates to, to the human factor. And especially since we knocked out that first piece of academic work with Columbia on auditory exclusion, I, I know that since the completion of that, I, that there has to be an acknowledgement that you know memory is, again, memory is and can be faulty and the number of different impacts for it, but also the instances where actual data existed. First and foremost, it's heartbreaking where men and women are going through a depth of emotion you can't possibly define, but to see it and then to be able to convey to others what is actually happening to them in that moment will begin to lead to a conversation of what in those situations people can do, but more often what they cannot do. You, know, you speak about line of duty deaths, and uh, you know if, if changes could have been made, if we could have pushed this process earlier, and you know information gathered and changes made that would have impacted on others. You know this is not some obscure academic endeavor. This is about the lives of these incredible men and women. And if you save one, that's worth a life's work. Thank you both. Before I move on to some personal questions for both of you to reflect on, are there any other programs or initiatives you want to highlight? Yeah, sure. We you know, outside the fire service this year had the opportunity to contribute to leadership development in, in the military. You know, pretty significant opportunity, or certainly an important one, 
had the opportunity to contribute to the development of New Jersey Devils NHL team, which pretty exciting. Huh. Um, talk about taking you outside your comfort zone. I'm like not a I'm a baseball guy. I'm not a I'm, I'm not a hockey guy. Uh, I appreciate the game. I find it exciting. I'm I'm by no means a student of it, but having the opportunity to go and interact with the coaching staff, the uh, front office, general manager, s- some of their rising rising players, you know, some some pretty talented hockey players was a really cool opportunity. And to be in an environment, I think one of the things that, about sport that really resonates with me when you're working with these organizations is they're ultra, ultra competitive. And in sport, I'd say the appreciation or, or the, the interest in human performance optimization predates that of the American Fire Service. You know, the, the competitive playing field is pretty level and then every organization largely has access to the same types of resources, whether it be a mental skills coach, a dietitian, a nutritionist, a strength and conditioning coach, like you name it. But then trying to get an edge in, in, in an environment, right, in a league as competitive as, as that, like the competitiveness, inclusive of like the GM in this, you know, this particular case was like palpable. And I think... Sometimes in this fire service, like go to different trade shows or conferences and you know, somebody who's like retired and hasn't been to a fire and like God knows when, you know, I was talking about how important it is for us to be safe. And you're like, oh God, like it'd be nice to have a meteor to walk in the room and says like, no, the, the important thing is that we go out there and like play, play to win, like in compelling fashion. But that was really cool about that opportunity. And then go in a different direction, had the opportunity to spend a couple of days on Capitol Hill with the U.S. Capitol Police hazmat response team. I'll, I'll, I'll kick it to, to Jim. What was that experience like, Jim? That was fantastic. Um, they were a great group who had been through um, a tough period, uh, but because they had such unit cohesion, you know, they, they were going to get through it. We had the chance then to uh, – they gave us a tour of the Capitol – which was insiders insiders tour, tour which was fantastic um, being the you know before I became half a nerd here I was a you know poli mega nerd and so it was like being in heaven you know it was it was, it was so cool <laughs> and uh, you know it's, it's it's always impressive to see the workings of government you know even beyond like c-span um, just the the, the arc the, the structure itself the history you know, there's, there's, there's much to learn and, and appreciate from that. And uh, you know, it was nice. We, we were with uh, Jason's dad was with us, so the chief was with us. That was pretty cool, too. And it was a unique experience. And uh, they were, you know, they were very good people. You know, that team was really just good folks. And uh, they do an important job when they've got to go. And it was really enjoyable spending time with them. Uh, they were older. Yeah. You know, like New York City Fire Department, we're young. You know, it's just the way it is now. But they were an older bunch. So they, you know, they saw the world a little differently. And it was very relatable um, to me. And uh, they had a couple of good stories. It was just it was just a great time. And D.C. is a fantastic place. It it's reeks of history. And if, you know, if you're, again, if you're a nerd, that's a great place to be. It's a really cool experience. Yeah. Were there any other programs or? Yeah, let's see. We, we launched 
are continuing to launch a LUF team of teams concept, kind of borrowed from, I guess, General Stan McChrystal's team of teams, which interestingly, he kind of borrowed from the adversarial network. But yeah, kind of a collaborative network of guys and gals from across the country that are all working to advance human performance, you know, in their respective organizations in the fire service. Some are resource rich, some perhaps not. But regardless, like it's it, that's been pretty cool to set that network up. Um, right now, we're continuing to kind of build out the what we call Team Alderson. Those those individuals who are going to be program managers. Each team is is going to be named in in honor of a human performance yeah. pioneer. Yeah, you know who who brought significant and meaningful reform to human performance. Um, in mission-oriented or competitive organizations, ranging from sport, you know, in the case of Sandy, baseball, to the military, to academic scholars. So that, that's going to be pretty cool. Uh, we're looking at doing a actually a, a team of teams retreat, which will be pretty exciting, thought-provoking. And then I can't talk about, two, uh, excuse me, can't talk about 2023 without talking about the farm. Unfortunately, mm. the big guy was, was sick oh. and was unable to, Join us. Terrible, terrible. Because you can guess what I'm, you can guess what I'm going to say next about the, the farm. <laughs> Given that this is the year in review, uh-huh. reflections, conversation. It was the. I know I say this every year. The best version. Yeah, it's the best one. Yeah. Yeah. It just gets. It's like watching Christmas Vacation. <laughs> it just gets better every time, right? Like, the farm was. Oh, it's great. I, it pains me to say this while I'm looking at Jimmy because he was unable to, to, to make it. Um, ah, it, was, it was incredible. The extent to which the group bonded, it was, you know, you're, you're a longtime basketball fan, right? The legendary Jimmy Jimmy V, who, who lost his life to, to, to cancer. Um, but his final, I guess his final public remarks at an ESPN, SB event were, you should do three things every day of your life. Should laugh, you should learn, you should cry, and that captures that week. Like that, <laughs> I, I, I think at some point during the course of the week, like pretty much every single person that came to the farm, some of them like as an individual, not knowing anybody, the, the extent to which folks bonded in that kind of communal retreat setting, largely free of free of distractions, really intense, you know, learning throughout the course of the day, good chow. Few cocktails, fireside at night, you know, cigars, etc. Um, but there, there were uh, not too many folks that that finished the week without without shedding a single tear. Some more than others, right? But what an awesome week, life changing, and and that includes the cadre. Like, it really, you walk away from that experience, like it's formative. And one of the things that happened over the course of the week that just think again reinforced the significance of, of this entire endeavor um, is there, there was a line of duty death Thursday afternoon in, in Baltimore and the incident commander former alum of of the week on the farm had had actually broken bread with us that that Thursday afternoon he left to go to work walked in you know box transmitted he just put in his gear in the in the chief's car, out the door he he he, he goes right to a, to a fire operation that 
by all accounts, kind of looked, felt like it was going to be business as usual. Very seasoned NC commander, 13 years, several hundred, probably, you know, somewhere in a ballpark of a thousand flyers under his belt as an incident commander. And um, this particular instance, it wasn't business as usual in, in terms of what transpired and, and the outcome. And there were three other folks in the in the room uh, from, from Baltimore. And uh, it was intense, you know, because we had folks from across the country. Earlier in the week, we've been talking about the citizen effect. And, and they're like the, the brothers and sisters from Alaska, like they could not wrap their head around like, the citizen effect, right? Citizen app. They, could, they, they couldn't, right? They couldn't wrap their head around the fact that like you could be watching a live stream video of a fire operation. And I'll never forget, like two, two of the gentlemen from Baltimore, like during the presentation, I just happened to be delivering this particular module. And somebody says, hey, uh, there's a man in Baltimore. And, um, they said, Mike's there. And like, Mike's there. He was just he was just here. Took a quick break. Folks went outside. They they listened to the video, the audio. They're watching the video real real time. People from across the country, like we've been talking about just, you know, some of these technological changes early in the week. And here it is, like it's 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 front it's front and center. And unfortunately the outcome was uh, it was catastrophic. You know, a young firefighter lost his life, the lieutenant would pass a week or two later. It was intense. It, it just served to kind of reinforce what we all, we all knew coming into this. Yeah, it was it was an intense, intense week. But for the type of experience where you leave like absolutely smoked intellectually, but you can't wait to get back home to your loved ones and you can't wait to get back to your loved ones at home and you can't wait to get back to your loved ones at, at work. And Eric, who runs the course, he drove from the Midwest to Maryland with the Grand Ayatollah, Jim Russell himself, oh. and he drove home with Jim. He said on the way there, he earned three PhDs. <laughs> and on the way home, he was uh, he he was ordained or qualified uh, to command both a battalion and yeah. a regiment yeah. in combat. True. So that was uh, <laughs> that's impressive. That, <laughs> I would love to make that drive. Yeah, I'm oh sure my you, god, you you can. Yeah, like next yeah. next year. But the farm was uh, it's so special. Yes, it, it really is. Uh, Reinforces the notion that people are looking for connection. Mm -hmm. Human beings are wired for it, and it's amazing that in such a short time, people can come together as if you've known each other for well years. One of the there were three young lieutenants. Uh, female lieutenants from from Milwaukee. I think there were like six or seven females in the group this year, and it really, it really, it kind of changed the dynamic in like a really, a really great way. But there were three recently promoted lieutenants, all have six or seven years. Talk about you know youth, six or seven years on the, on the fire department, in Milwaukee, and they're all like in suppression companies, and they came out together. Now they're they're all pretty close friends. But one of them mentioned it at some point during the course of the week. She goes, you know what allows you to be really vulnerable with people here? It's the fact you don't work with them. And that that actually really resonated with me because I said, you know what? You're you're probably right. Like in that set, setting, I'm a little bit more comfortable talking about myself or being a little bit more vulnerable than I am naturally with the guys I, I work with. You know, it was like, there's like that psychological safety there and there's people that get it and understand you, but you, 
you know, you're a little bit more, you can say like, hey, I, I think I, whether you're reflecting on mistakes or you're talking about things that are a little bit more emotional, there's like a, there's a little bit more, uh, a little bit greater margin there than it is with people that you're, that you work with, or certainly people that you, you lead. I thought that was interesting that she had, she had mentioned that, but it was a, it was a great week. Next year, you both, you, you both need to. Well, Jimmy will be there. Yeah. You got you to gotta make the trek down and spend a day or two with us. I plan on it. Excellent. So I want to turn now to some more personal questions. And I usually ask this during our urine review episode. So I'm excited to find out your answers this year. What are some of the most exciting opportunities you experienced in 2023 and or what are some of the most meaningful challenges you navigated or find yourselves navigating at this time, Jim? I'll say um, working with Dr. Andy Morgan, we've become friends with him and we have the absolute privilege to listen to him. But this year we had the chance really to get deep into you know academic work. And I say this to Jason every time he comes, it's like Christmas morning <laughs> and it really is. But to, to see how he works in like an academic fashion. I mean, I, I wish I could do that seven days a week. You know, that's a phenomenal, um, you come out like so much better. You've learned so much more. Your understanding is, the contrast to that is like, I navigate, you know, uh, there's a point in life where you can't do this anymore, you know. Um, Physically. Yeah, I so, so there's like the great contrast. You have the things like doing this and, and working with Andy is, is, you know, it's, it's an opportunity you could never dream of, right? But Mother Nature is moving on. If I worked in a, you know, a place with like normal run totals, I could do this till I was 90. But like there's a, there's a balance. There's a, you know, it's a, it's a fight, if you will, on that. So, you know, I'll... I'll you know, I'll fight it out till I either drop dead or they tell me to get out. But the point is, it's a, you know, it's a conflict. The old timers used to say, you'll know your body will tell you when it's time to go. And my body has been saying that since Thanksgiving night of 2019. But I'll keep plugging along until something gives. And then, uh, you know, so that's where we were for the year. Thanks, Jim. Jason? Sure. See most meaningful challenge and or opportunity. Uh, well, personally, my wife and I welcomed our third child, a little baby boy, in June, which took us from two kids to three, which <laughs> is is both a blessing and a and a challenge. You know, had had the opportunity to uh, recite it to name him after my my father and my maternal grandfather. And he's healthy and big and generally happy and sleeps well, which is is a is a blessing. Professionally, uh, let's see. Well, I returned to school this year. Uh, had a GI bill that was going to time out and didn't want to didn't want it to go unused. Selectively looked around for a program that I thought would fit and found a human factors program, and uh, you know returned to the graduate school classroom in an asynchronous uh, <laughs> format where primarily I'm just doing, you know, my own research, independent research, and um, a lot of reading, 
even more writing. I think I'm, I just finished up my fourth class and I'm on average writing about 100 pages of papers, scholarly papers per class. I'm getting crushed. <laughs> <laughs> but it's freaking awesome. It's exceeded my expectations. And the depth and the scale or the scope, we can't get into it now. But I mean, J- Jimmy's seen some of the, yeah. the, the work. It's beyond impressive. It's exciting. It, yeah. it really, it, it like literally is the type of stuff that like keeps me awake at night because I'm so excited about w- where where we are, and just the extent to which we're being able we're, we're working to kind of quantify and qualify the, the the stress that we're is imposed on us at fires and you know building off these some of these deficiencies, the line of duty death analysis, um, human performance at complex fire operations. It's been awesome. So a little bit more than a third of the way through i mean it's it's been challenging to find the time mm-hmm. and uh my sleep is probably suffered you know my <laughs> professor's like i had to do a recent fa- fatigue assessment and uh i had relayed that my my average sleep is whatever six hours 15 minutes a night for the past six months and he's like well that's inadequate and it's like yeah all right, I, 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 I get that <laughs> but i have a lot of i have a lot of things competing for my my time yeah. and at the end of the day they're, they're all privileges Right, like these little kids, privilege. Working in a firehouse, you know, being a unit leader, privilege. Being a marine officer, privilege. Right, so those are the highlights for me in 2023. Excellent. What about you, Patty? Well, similar to you guys, I think one of the challenges is time. Time always getting away from us and trying to manage expectations on the on a daily basis about what can be accomplished and what can't and that's always a work in progress. <laughs> but in terms of exciting opportunities, I'm happy to share on the podcast that I just accepted the position of executive director of the New York City Fire Museum, which is the official museum of the FDNY. And so I am excited to come back on the podcast at some point and talk about that experience more once I'm settled in. But I am just very honored to be a steward of FDNY history of history of the fire service in New York. It's a culmination of all my personal and professional experiences. So it feels very aligned. And I can't tell you how great it feels to be home and back in New York. So Yes. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> and congratulations. That's a big job. It is. That's a big win to have that spot. So well done. Thank you. Yeah, it's a perfect it's a perfect fit for you in so many in so many ways. And it's really cool to to, to now see you in an executive director role mm-hmm. and, and it's going to be fun to watch and um yeah i'm excited like too like i i think that the museum will benefit from the the team mm-hmm. right the, the collective collaborative network mm-hmm. but it's, it's it's such a it like fits you so i know well and best of all you're like you're you're back you're not in yes Florida. yes yes we're not doing this virtually i know yeah you can come to midtown and hang out <laughs> And freeze. <laughs> yeah. That's okay. That's okay. You're only a few hours in Florida when you want to visit, but yeah, you're back home. Yeah. Exactly. Well done. Thank you. Thank well you. done. Welcome back. Thanks. So, what's something you learned about yourself or changed your position on this year? Do either of you have something to share? I would say I don't know nearly enough. Um, just when you think you reach a point where you understand something. Like, wow, there's so much work to be done. You know, that's a good place to be. 
this endeavor is daunting and when you take one step forward all of a sudden more, there's more and more opportunity more and more challenge and that's what keeps you motivated and keeps you engaged i look at what jason's doing with with his classwork and that's just phenomenal you know i know he's taken his level of game to you know to the next level so you know you got to try and work and, and try and match it but uh the great thing about this team is that nobody sits still Mm-hmm. Right, and when everybody's pushing forward, you don't want to sit on the sidelines, right? You want to keep moving, and I think that's what makes this team so good. Everybody's so competitive, right? and that just pushes everyone else to be better. There's just so more to be done. Yeah, probably. I, I mean, now that I'm back in the the academic environment, right? Everything starts with uh, empiricism. Starts with the hypothesis. So I've been able to do a lot of scholarly research on human response to to stress, physiological, cognitive, psychological, et cetera. I, I don't necessarily, on the topic of changing my mind, when it, when it comes to like life in the firehouse, uh, I can think it's a couple of fires I had this year that on the back end, you know, my performance was perhaps less less than optimal. You know, I, I or we as a unit were humbled. It kind of forced me to change my, my mind or reposition my Think, re- rethink my position on a, a particular tactic um, or position, right? Um, or pr- prioritization of, of efforts and fires, et cetera. But the academic setting is just kind of reinforced this notion that we, we largely operate off of high hypothesis or, you know, Marines speak off of assumptions. Uh, I think, you know, Jimmy and I talk about this all the time when communicating with leaders in the fire service, particularly our job, is that everything that we continue to to do and learn about human performance at fires and emergencies particularly in an urban vertical context just reinforces like just how physiologically psychologically cognitively this this profession is almost without analogy outside of maybe like being an astronaut or being operating in eod suit you know explosive ordnance disposal so, but I, I think we've certainly changed our mind over the course of several years, right, Jimmy? True. We would put guy on it, guy <laughs> in bunker gear operating in a flyer without vision. Yes. On on that spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. That that's been very very eye opening. Um, I learned how much I love New York City. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you were in denial. Yeah, I was for a little bit. We love to hate it sometimes. That's your given right as a New Yorker. <laughs> You know, it's it's beautiful how it works because you're like, if I get the right job and you're like kind of, you know, like you mentioned some of these employers that were like kind of on your radar, but kind of not. And then when this job opportunity became mm-hmm. available, I was like, this might, this might be the one. Yeah. Chance gets a vote. That's right. So before we wrap up, of course, I want to know your favorite or most formative books, podcasts or film that you watched this year. Do you want to start, Jim? Sure. So for book, uh, it's going to be Sapolsky's Determined. I was not going to read this. I wanted to go somewhere else. But uh, I was speaking with Gabe and Jimmy, Dr. and Jimmy, and uh, he said, no, push this up to the top of your of your list. And it was it's worth, I mean, Sapolsky is just the, the absolute dean and um, it, primarily with free will. So it, it was worth the read. Podcasts, I would go with, well, it was a tough year with podcasts. I mean, you, you got McNulty, Lopez, 
But I'm going to go with Dave Pauling. There's something in the water in South Jersey because they just think differently. You know, whether it's Cherry Hill or, or Lieutenant Pauling. But he's, you know, he gave us a footing into a world we're not really privy to. And he's a perfect example of a leader who's thinking differently. And because he's in a smaller department, he's beginning to make changes. And in a profession that is really challenging right now. And again, he, he works in a, a department that's in an area that's challenged from a manpower perspective, but they're doing really great things. And, you know, tip of the hat to him. The guy who's thinking differently and then taking the things you're learning and then enacting them. And that, that was beyond impressive. If I could put like a second podcast in there, a number of universities offer open courseware. So I've watched Sapolsky over the years, but I really like uh, Dr. Nancy Kenwisher from MIT. You can sit there and watch the thing, right? Yeah. I'm like, I don't care about a degree. I'm just see if I can learn something. But that's... You know, and a number of universities offer it, and you know, some of our listeners may want to jump in, and because it's a great opportunity. So um, I really enjoyed that. Uh, films, okay. So as always, I, I I got Netflix for about a month or so, simply so I could have something. Right. So this film, The Imitation Game, about Alan Turing, I watched it. 20, 25 times. I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated with people who, you know, who take on really difficult challenges and kind of they're, they're quirky and stuff. And they, but they do really important work. And um, so that was the, the film. Man, I spent a lot of time watching that. And thank God Netflix expired. But uh, it was a great film. What Alan Turing did and how it impacted World War II was beyond extraordinary. I'll eventually have to knock down the book, but that was a good one. Great. Thanks, Jim. Jason? Well, I spent much of the year <laughs> reading a neural number of academic journal articles. Yeah, that was largely what, what I read this, this past year. In terms of podcasts, uh, there, were, there were so many great episodes in, in terms of LUF episodes having had the uh, opportunity to kind of produce i guess behind the scenes coordinate and produce the episode about commissioner chief bill Fian was just a tremendous honor i mean having the opportunity to talk to his son john you know battalion chief john Fian, commissioner nigro connor davin you know his, his, his grandson it was uh yeah just humbling you know, you know, and you, you, here's a gentleman who came on the fire department, the New York City fire department in, in the 50s and stayed until his very final day when the city said, you can work. <laughs> you, just, you just can't work here anymore. Or you can, just not in gear, right? Yeah. Yeah. And his father had done the same, the, the very same thing. You know, let's see the fourth, the, the, the fourth generation of the, the Davin, of the Fian Davin family, actually fifth. Fifth generation, yes. Connor's fifth generation, In, incredible, and and to to see the the extent to which not only was he like a, a trusted leader and a quiet professional who just like had an amount of love for the job, but he was a visionary. He was strategic. He was he was many of the things that we aspire to 
to be yeah. at a time and place where we didn't have the the resources that we have today and had a formal education, a college education. But I would imagine that it probably paled in comparison to some of the to the collegiate education of today. And uh, you know, he he and like so many of his generation did so much important work in in, in building the, the department that we we all love and serve. And really cool to kind of connect with our our history and also it also injects some humility like nothing is truly new it's like having a conversation with yourself it's like you know in 2019 he's like no one's talking about a pandemic perhaps we should <laughs> like pretty pretty incredible but no um yeah that was that was a tremendous that was a tremendous opportunity or honor more accurately did you have any time to watch any films um Barney? Yeah. Uh, Paw Patrol. Oh. <laughs> uh, Elsa. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yeah. No, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's just so, you know, one of the things I, it's hard sometimes, like, there, there is such a thing as being too busy where you don't actually enjoy any of this mm-hmm. stuff. And we're all guilty of being there some, some, sometimes, phases and seasons, but it's, uh, we're, we're truly blessed. You know, I, I, I went to, um, I made the trek to Arlington yesterday. Lieutenant Colonel Justin Constantine, who spoke, was on the panel at our first Making Yourself Hard to Kill conference back in the fall of 2012. Without question, s- sustained the, the most serious injury, most severe injury in Iraq and Afghanistan and lived to tell the t- Tale. And that, that's saying something, given the considerable number of, of guys and gals that were banged up in Iraq and Afghanistan. Due to IEDs, gunfire, you know, you, you, you name it. And um, he was he was shot shot in the face. And uh, the, the, the courage that his corpsman displayed in saving his life was beyond remarkable. After se- several years of re- really intense surgical and medical care, he largely resumed a, a pretty normal life, you know, in terms of like functional and physical activity and became a tremendous ambassador for our nation's veterans, like front and center. But in, in, re- in recent years, battled cancer. And unfortunately, he lost his, his battle in the spring of 2022. He was finally laid to rest yesterday at Arlington. Full military honors. You know, over, overcast, cold day. It was like something out of a, something out of a movie, almost like s- s- surreal. But a, a man of service. You know, a, a stark reminder that what what people on our team, what people in our network, guys and gals do, is is incredibly important. Like the consequences are are severe. It's very very real. But it was also it was it was also a reminder of just how blessed we are. You know, a lot of people look at Justin and they'll say, how terrible. Yeah, to some extent, that terrible to sustain something like that. Like in some ways, like how, how awesome, right? That this guy by all accounts should have been dead in a Navy corpsman against insurmountable odds, dropped to his knee instead of protecting himself, right? While they're continuing to take sustained fire and, and perform life-saving critical care in the most lethal 
and unforgiving environments. And this guy returned home, compliments of the gifted hands of, of, of Navy doctors and, and nurses, and enjoyed 16, 17 years of, of life, able to get married. And, and I think that that speaks to the type of type of people that we serve with, like how, how blessed are we? Right, to, to build experience like firsthand in our lifetime, build experience like a real meaningful, intimate d- display of sacrifice, service, and and love. Uh, just just uh, special. It gives meaning to the time, the limited time that we have. Yeah, uh, a few hundred yards from where Justin. So uh, human remains rested on hallowed, on hallowed ground that is Arlington. Rest, Sergeant Bill Kerr. You know, one of the true plank owners of leadership under fire. Who went at the moment, you know, he was killed in Afghanistan in 2009. His, his wife was pregnant with twin daughters. Who he never held. And, um, you know, that, that truly represents... I, I think reflects the, the, the price of, of freedom that we enjoy. And to your point, Patty, it, it's, re, it's a reminder that uh, life, is, life is precious. And we have a responsibility to compete and perform and study and train and educate. And we also have a responsibility to enjoy our lives mm-hmm. and, and celebrate what we have with those who we who we love. Well said. Jim, you might be proud of me. I don't have a favorite film for this year because I didn't watch a lot of television this year. And you both know that I'm proud of every single podcast episode that we produce. But the most formative book that I read this year was called Bittersweet by Susan Cain. But the full title is Bittersweet, How Sorrow and Longing That's the follow- Make Us Whole. That's the following to Quiet. Yes. I have not yet read Quiet. Have you, Jimmy? No. But basically, I listened to her do a podcast interview with uh, Simon Sinek. And at the end of the conversation, they had concluded that it could have been called Sweet Bitter. So Excellent. Right. I, I highly recommend that following what you just shared, Jason. Okay. <laughs> Lastly, for both of you, can you share what you're looking forward to next year? Good health. Keep getting after it. And uh, my sister and I picked up a little house upstate. And, uh, you know, just, just keep moving forward. You know, just keep going till you can't go no more. And uh, life, life is really good. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no, no, there's no doubt about that. And this is, you know, the most purposeful and meaningful thing I've ever done. So we go forward until we can't go no more. I have a couple of things I'm looking forward to in 2024. You know, to watch my kids grow. Yeah, I don't know. I'm really excited about the year ahead in the firehouse. I'm excited about the year ahead in the, cl- in the classroom. I'm excited about the year ahead for LUF. And it, it looks like uh, this will probably be my final year 
in the, in the Marine Corps, which talk about, I'd like to say sweet, better. We'll say bitter, bittersweet. Ah, uh, yeah, the, 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 possibly the, the end of, of formal service in that, in that regard. Yeah, mixed emotions, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm looking, looking forward to, uh, to the next chapter. 20 years of service in the United States Marine Corps, two wars. Hold your yeah, head 20, high, man. Yeah, 20, mm. 20, well done. 28 uh, in total. For the first time in my life, I'll, I'll officially be a civilian. Mm. That's okay. You have nothing to, <laughs> you have nothing, you've left it all on, a, on the field. Mm. Yeah. And God gave you the chance to walk away and you have three kids, man. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, you know, walk, walking that Hallegrand, that Hallegrand yesterday to Arlington, you know, a reminder too, like, just being here, lucky, blessed. Sure. There's a range of emotions that come with that. But uh, it's not lost to me. Like, it's most are, you know, truly, truly lucky. And if I understand correctly, once a Marine, always, always a Marine? G generally. I think there's been like one or two isolated <laughs> ex ex exceptions. Uh, always the Marine officer. Yeah. It's a separate conversation. Yeah. We'll save that one for next year. Yeah. I'm looking forward to this conversation next year, honestly. Thank you both so much for taking the time to be here today and to reflect. In person. In, in person. person. With Patty living in God New bless. York. <laughs> well done. Thank you both. Thank you, Patty. Excellent. The Leadership Under Fire podcast provides a platform that helps to prepare performance leaders to navigate the moral, mental, emotional, intellectual, and physical rigors in high-risk and ultra-competitive settings by developing strength of mind, body, character, and critical thought. For more on this, visit leadershipunderfire.com.